You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley titled, Knowing God Loves Us, from the sermon series, Love. For more info, please visit creekside.org. If you would, turn to uh, the Gospel of John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We're heading into Easter and uh, just entering into really a critical season in a lot of ways and means and for God's purposes to be established. And uh, there's three critical loves that I want to talk about for the next five weeks. Start today that God loves us, that we never want to forget that, that we, we want to talk about how do we love God? Uh, we, we feel it sometimes, we think about it, but here's the question. Do you know how to, do, do you really know that God, does God know that, he loved, that you love him based on what you do and how you show that? And then we're going to talk about leading into Easter, how to love others. It's an important uh, season. I encourage you to be here uh, for those Sundays in the life of our church. Have any of you experienced kind of this awkwardness where you're going to, you know, there's going to be a group of people you're going to walk into and you go, you know what? I I sure hope there's somebody there that knows me and they see me and they kind of engage me. Have you ever had that where you you, you just, you you hope that happens? There's something very powerful, isn't it? About somebody seeing you and then coming over to connect with you, isn't it? Now, for some of us, we probably go, I hope I go to this thing tonight or today and nobody's going to see me and nobody's going to engage me and just let me go. We, the scripture says that, you know why we love God first? Because he first loved us. You know why a lot of sometimes spouses don't feel loved in a marriage? Because they don't feel loved by God. So it's really hard for them to express their love. There's something very powerful when you know that you're loved by God and his, his love is mirrored through you to the people around you. Something very powerful about that. When you see mean people, critical people, judgmental people, I can almost guarantee you they don't feel God's love. That's why uh, there's an old axiom that says hurting people hurt people. A lot of times, hurting people or hurt people that hurt others can also be very religious. There's a stark difference between religion and relationship that Jesus brings to this world and to our lives. God came to reveal himself through the person of Jesus Christ. That's why we celebrate Christmas, that we experience this sense of Emmanuel, God, with us. And then we celebrate the resurrection, Easter Sunday, that Jesus came, he gave his life he's to die for our sins, and then in the power of God, he resurrects, and we get to experience new life because we embrace the love of God and the life of Christ. Jesus said it this way. You know what? When you see me, in John 14, he's talking to his disciples, and he says, when you see me, you've seen the Father. Now, Hebrews 1 says that he's the exact representation. He's the radiance of the Father. 
Jesus came to show us the love of God and the heart of God. But isn't it true that, you know, don't you know people that have walked away from church? They walk away from God and and they feel like they're walking away from a religion. And that's a lot of times what happens is because they get engaged in religion and they miss the full and the truth and the, the, the happening and the experience of a relationship with God and it begins to become a religion. So what do they do? They leave. And they think they're walking away from church. They think they're walking away from God. They think they're walking away from all of this stuff. But can I tell you something? God has already left the building. God is not going to hang around where there's a high degree of religious, religiosity and religious happening, where a relationship with him isn't what the focal is, but it's simply about doing for God when he continually wants us to know that uh, there's nothing you've got to do except respond because I've done it all. And sometimes those people, they think, I'm going to run from the church. I'm going to run from people. I'm going to run from God. But you know what the truth is? They're probably running to God. And here's the deal. God doesn't leave them. He's like the hound of heaven. And some of you possibly in this room have even experienced some of that. Where you thought, I'm going to run. I'm going to leave. I'm going to get out of here. And like Jonah, thank God you probably, he got swallowed up by a big fish. You just felt God's presence continually about you. And and John, the writer of the gospel, he comes. He's Jesus' best friend, but he also understands that Jesus is his Lord. And so he writes this gospel, not to tell us about his religious experience, but to tell us about this God that he loves and he followed and he served. And he wants us to understand that it's Jesus Christ. He's God in the flesh. And he tells us that he's our eternal God, our creator God. He's a polarizing God that will make life difficult for you at times. He's God, our savior. He's God in the human flesh. But he's a relational God that comes to engage us. Because loved ones, it's so important to understand that if you don't under, if you want to understand who God is and God's love for you, it's going to be critical that you understand who Jesus is. And we're going to get to see this, a little Kodak moment with him today in John chapter one. Uh, Let's begin at verse 43. Now, Jesus is, this is kind of the inauguration of his ministry. John the Baptist has announced that he's coming. And as he comes, Jesus now begins to see people. And he starts calling his disciples. He calls Peter. He's calling other disciples. And now he's going to come upon this other disciple by the name of Philip. And then he's going to come into contact with Nathaniel, but let's pick it up where it talks about Philip. Verse, uh, chapter one of the gospel of John, verse 43 says, the next day, he, speaking of Jesus, decided to leave for Galilee. Now notice what it says. Jesus found Philip and told him, follow me. That's quick. 
Now, Philip, he was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. And Philip then went and he found Nathanael. And he said to him, we found the one that Moses wrote about, about the law. And so did, and so, and that the prophets wrote about. It's Jesus, the son of Joseph. He's from Nazareth. (laughs) And this is Nathanael. He's not a big player in scripture, but he's kind of a big player we can learn from here. And he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now imagine that. We're talking about Jesus here. And, and Philip has just announced, this is the man, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. Oh, come on. Are you kidding me? I can't come out of Nazareth. Well, come and see, Philip says. <laughs> come and see. Well, then Jesus saw Nathanael. So there's a little bit of time frame here that's taking place. And so then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and he said about him, now here is a true Israelite and there is no deceit in him. That's interesting, isn't it? Maybe it's because he, what he said earlier, I don't know, but that's an interesting thing. Oh, hi, Nathanael, you're an Israelite. There's no deceit in you. And what does Nathaniel say? Well, what most thinking people would say, how do you know? How do you know me? Well, here's the deal, Nathaniel. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, he's very specific here. He doesn't say when, you know, when you were walking about the city, he says, Remember, there's a di- recently you were under the fig tree. I saw you. I want you to hear that. I saw you. And then all of a sudden, Nathaniel goes, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Wouldn't that kind of shake you just a little bit if all of a sudden, this guy comes and says, hey, I saw you the other day at uh, In-N-Out. Yeah, but you were over in Nazareth. How did you do that? And there's this revelatory moment for Nathaniel. And he says, you. Rabbi, teacher, son of God, king of Israel. And Jesus responded to him, do you believe only because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than this. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. This is a wonderful passage. It gives us a little bit of insight into Jesus and how he is this this God that relationally pursues us and, and he loves us. And notice there's this conversation in this passage that simply focuses on the conversation between Jesus and Nathaniel. And what's it centered around? It's about how Jesus encountered him and how Jesus saw him sometime earlier sitting under these trees, this tree. Isn't that interesting? Because there's probably some of us in this room that you might even be sitting here today and going, does Jesus really see me? Does he know me? And what really gets difficult for us, probably the reason that we ask that is because some of us, we go through brokenness, we go through difficult times, we experience pain. Maybe we experience betrayal. And nobody knows, nobody notices we feel invisible, don't we? 
And it's at that point we say, well, nobody else can see it. How in the world could God? I mean, I'm just one in seven billion people. And we begin to feel invisible before God. Is he really going to bother with me sitting under a tree or eating over it in and out? And so we may conclude then that, well, nobody sees us, so neither does God. Jesus is now bringing together his earlier followers, and he's calling Philip, and now he reaches out to this other man named Nathaniel. And, and Jesus, what does he say to Philip? He says, follow me. I read this. Don't you just find it a little bit interesting that a two-word conversation, follow me, and all of a sudden, Philip is becoming a disciple, and he's following Jesus. How many of you did that? You hear this sense of follow me, and man, lockstep, you're following him. Well, I'm not sure that we see the whole thing here. Have you ever stepped into a conversation? I did uh, a little over a week ago, where people are talking, and you kind of pick up a couple points of it, and you step into it, and you say something, and you realize, oh, that's not, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that's not apropos, that doesn't fit, duh. You know, because you're in the middle or the tail end of it. I think that's what's happening here. We, we're, we're catching the end of it. There's been a conversation that started some time ago between Jesus and Philip. And it's been going on. A, a literal conversation in this place has probably been taking place. And Jesus just says, follow me. And we get to see the result. And Philip does. There's this theological term uh, by a theologian uh, hundreds of years ago by the name of Arminius. It's a a theological term called prevenient grace. Prevenient grace simply means grace that goes before. Arminius was a theologian that believed that it wasn't just God who worked in salvation, but man had to respond to what God was doing. And so he put it in these terms, because there are theologians that believe it's only the sovereignty of God, and the only way that you can respond to God is because you were predestined and called to. Whereas Arminius said, no, man has a choice. He can walk to God or he can walk away from God. And so he began to develop this theology called prevenient grace, grace that goes Before, before what? Before you ever responded to God. I believe this. Because Jesus was talking about that nobody comes to the Father but through me. Nobody comes to the Father. Nobody comes into a relationship with me unless they're drawn by the Spirit. So there's this work of the Spirit that is taking place in us. And then there comes a day, a time, where we say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. happened in my life that way. I didn't understand early on in my life this conversation that really was not a literal conversation with me and God, but that, that he was conversing with my spirit, with my life. And sometimes I didn't, most of the time I didn't understand what was happening. Often I was confused by it. And sometimes I ignored it even though I knew it was real. Well, what do you mean? I remember sitting in church, my parents um, we're on the brink of breaking up my dad's third marriage and they ended up coming to Christ and they started going to church and they forced me to go as a senior in high school. And I started going and I've told you this story before about my friend Russ. I didn't want to go alone. So I drugged my best friend, you know, another teenager, give me some support. 
And we'd be sitting there on the second row. The pastor would be giving an altar call. Everything would be concluding. And he'd be giving this altar call. And he'd be talking right to me. And my heart would be going boom, 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 boom. Because it was a call to go forward. And I knew I was supposed to. God was speaking to me. And Russ would always go, hey, hey, let's go up there. Let's go up there. Let's respond. And I'd go, just cool your jets, dude. You're my guest. If you want to go, go ahead. And I never went. But every Sunday, I knew that with just, there was something in me that said, go. And I just said, no. There was this provenient grace that God was working in me. It was a conversation. Terry, go. No, 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 no. Think back and see if you can begin to connect the dots and see how long before you understood and you knew that God was really talking to you. And you begin to see and understand now what God is doing with Philip, what God is going to be doing with Nathaniel. Because that's exactly, they've been having this conversation well before this encounter that we read about today. See, many see our movement toward God as simply an intellectual movement. As a teenager sitting in that service, I knew it wasn't just an intellectual thing that was taking place. There was something inside of my soul, my heart, that was compelling me. Now hear me. This doesn't mean that I'm saying, you know, if you're going to be a Christ follower, just kind of go because your heart's pumping or whatever and mail your brain off and don't think about your faith. Absolutely not. Uh, But here's the point. It is never solely an intellectual movement with God. Some people think, here's what people say, that, that only stupid people believe in God. Because they know smart people who are atheists or agnostics. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever experienced that? I have. And atheists say, well, you know what? It's only stupid people that follow God because I've talked to them. And that's true. There's a lot of stupid Christians, right? Wow, you're listening to one. (laughs) But here's the deal. Sometimes those Smart atheists forget that there's a lot of really bright, intelligent Christians that are probably smarter than them. But here's the deal. They don't necessarily hang out with them. They don't talk to them. So they only hang out with the smart atheists or the dumb Christians. And they're going to sound smart. They're going to listen to them. Oh, you're not very smart, but I'm smart. Are you tracking with me how that happens? We can do that in anything. But there's a lot of really smart people that believe in God. I mean, as a matter of fact, yesterday I was reading uh, on the internet this thing. I, I, think it, I think it was called 30, uh, 30 Ways to See If You're Smarter Than You Think You Are. I thought, well, I need some help. Because I'm not really, I want to see if I really have anything up there. So I go through it and it says, you know, you do this, you'll play chess. You'll do these things. And then it comes to this one and it goes, and you're smarter if you belong to a liberal political party. Here's the Harvard research on it. And then a few slides later, it says you're smart if you're an atheist. 
And this is based on some other research from some other place. Because we understand that not everybody's going to buy into these stories from the past. And it goes on and on. There's 30 slides to it. And by the time I'm done, I'm feeling worse than I got into it. I thought, you know, there was some hope. But isn't it true? Uh, The Bible says that it's the fool who doesn't believe in God. And yet our culture is going to say, you can kind of tell probably where these slides come from. I mean, they had a bias to them. Hear me, loved ones. Faith isn't outsmarting everyone intellectually. God doesn't speak to our brain alone, but he's going to talk to your spirit. He's going to talk to your soul. And he's going to talk to your head. I don't have to know everything about God to come to him. I don't. Do you? You know everything about him? Really, does anybody? How can you, when you think like this, remember scriptures, there's scriptures in the Bible that say things like this. Who can know the mind of God? It's a rhetorical question that basically could be answered with nobody. Isaiah said it, the prophet said, his ways are higher than ours, his thoughts are higher than ours. Yeah, I get it. And he's not saying you're stupid. You know what he's saying? He's God, you're not, and you're not ever going to really be able to figure him out. Because if you do, guess what? You become God. Because now you're as smart as God is. And that's never the position uh, that we are to take as his creation. See, think about this. Uh, How many of you know everything about science? I don't, but I believe in it. How many of you know everything about mathematics? I mean, mathematics and all the equations and everything has so much effect on our world and and technology and, and, and engineering and everything. How many know everything about it? You don't, but you believe in it. I believe in golf. I love golf. It's a great game, but I don't know everything about it. There's so many things in life, loved ones, that we don't understand, but we believe in them. And there comes a point, we see it with Philip, and we see it with Nathaniel, that there's this conversation that if you're listening, if you're paying attention, that God has this conversation with you, and at some point, he'll speak your language in ways that you can understand. And it's what he did with Philip when he said, follow me. The conversation had been going on, but then he says two words, and Philip goes, this is right. This is God. And he begins to follow him. And what I love is is that then Philip goes to his friend Nathaniel. It doesn't seem like he's been given any more great theological answers or understanding, but he goes to Nathaniel and what does he say? I found the one. And here's what I believe. I am fully convinced that God has been having a conversation with Nathaniel in his mind, in his heart in his soul. And Philip just shows up to begin to speak into that. 
So we got this story of a couple of people on their journey and they begin to realize that God saw them because he loves them. And like Philip, here's the question. Do you know of people that maybe God is seeing and he's sending you to them to just be there and to speak into their life. And maybe you get to step into and add to the conversation that God's already having with somebody. Because that's what Philip does. See, here's the great discovery. Note this. God sees you. God sees you. God sees you. God sees you. Have you ever noticed, if you were to talk to probably some of our Sunday school teachers, our children's ministry directors, our children's pastor, what is one of the first questions, what is one of the first statements that children make when they come here? Where is God? I want to see God. Where's God? I want to see him. And some of us in this room, we say the same thing. But here's what I really believe. I believe that the greatest time, the greatest moment in a child's life, the greatest moment in your life, in my life, will always come when we know God sees us. Because that's what it says here. In a number of places, God saw him. God saw him. See, maybe our greatest desire really isn't extrinsically to see God, but intrinsically, we want God to see us. Because remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? He said, it's not about me knowing you. Excuse me, it's not about you knowing me. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, here's what it's about. It's about me knowing you. And see, we want to see God, but I wonder if the thing that will really begin to change our life is when we begin to understand we're not invisible, but God sees us. But we kind of get like Nathaniel. We start looking for God in all the perfect places. You, you, isn't it interesting, Nathaniel's statement? He says this, really? Come on, God, you're trying to tell me it's the Messiah. Can anything good, anything significant come out of Nazareth? See, don't we expect God to come out of perfect places? Don't we expect to see God in perfect people? Now, let, let me let you in on something. There are no perfect places. There are no perfect churches. And there are no perfect people. And yet God says, I'm going to reveal myself. I'm going to let people see me through the life of others. You know why? Because I believe it shows us that God came down and he, he came into this town and then he steps out of this town of no reputation, of little significance. And what does he do? He steps right into our lives. He stepped into Phillips. He stepped into Nathaniel's. And here's what he wants to do. He wants to step into your life. And he wants to say, I am going to call out the significance. I'm going to remove the insignificance the lack of reputation, and I'm going to give you a new reputation, and I'm going to give you some significance. I love that. You know why? Because I know God's working. God's working in you. He's working in all of us. But the key is, are we going to see him, and are we going to listen, and are we going to respond? Because he's the one that loved ones can begin to change the trajectory of our lives. So Jesus, then he comes to Nathanael and the, he sees him and the first thing he says, aha, he's an Israelite without deceit. I love this because he doesn't say, here's a perfect man. He doesn't say, here's a man that, God can, that, that God's gonna use because he's so good. He didn't say he'd never done anything wrong. He didn't say he'd never sinned. 
He didn't say he was imperfect. You know why? (laughs) Because Nathaniel was still broken. He was still imperfect, just like you and me. He's made mistakes. But still, Jesus, God, the seeker and the lover of his soul and seeker of his life comes to him. And he doesn't say, man, I finally found somebody that was worthy of my love and coming and dying for. No, he said this. He's a person without guile. He's a person without deceit. There's nothing false about him. He doesn't say that he's perfect. He doesn't say that he's sinless. Doesn't that kind of give you a little hope? Because he acknowledges what he is. He's a guileless, deceitless person. What does that mean? It means he comes honest. He comes open. He comes vulnerable before Jesus. It's, it's, listen, loved ones, it's so easy to work at. It's so easy to work out. We become so tired at trying to be everything we think God wants us to be. It's so easy to get tired and to get run down and to get get exhausted by trying to be everything that people expect us to be. And it's usually things that God never expects from us. And that's what I love about this. See, instead of becoming the best, he's making us simply to become, to become everything that he wants us to be. He wants us to come honestly. He wants us to come openly before him with the mess, with the brokenness, with the pain, with whatever it is, the addiction, the problems. And he says, would you just come without deceit? Would you just come without trying to fake me out? Because it's my life that I want to begin to instill and infuse into you. People say they don't come to church because of the hypocrites. Welcome to the world. Did you know that the world is full of humanity, like seven plus billion? Did you know that out of those, how many of those people are hypocrites? Probably most of us. Did you know the church is full of hypocrites, people say? Okay, so this is humanity. This is what we see out there. People don't necessarily quit going to school, going to family functions because of the hypocrisy. See, if we become without guile, if we become without deceit, if we're allowing Jesus to look at us and to see us and we're going to him, guess what? He'll begin to change that. So we simply become what the Bible calls people of transformation because of the life and the love of God at work that work in us. Someone told me this about using hypocrites as an excuse. They said, you got to be bigger than one than to hide behind one. That's so true. Because it's going to be everywhere. And here's the problem. Is we all got issues. Some are bigger, some are worse, some are more difficult. But people who don't own their stuff, people that don't have a sense of spiritual awareness are some of the most judgmental and condemning people in the world. I'm not perfect. I hope I've never tried to communicate that I am or come across as being, I'm not. 
I mean, I'm, you know what? You probably bring the standard up, not me. But, but I think all of us have this stuff in us. And the best way to come to Jesus, it says, to come to experience God's love is to simply come authentic and transparent. Because we understand it's only by his love and his power and his grace that we can change. See, we're on this journey together with God. It's so much easier to say that we're Creekside and we're simply a group of broken and fragmented people who are just trying to follow God. Who is at work in us and through us to become more like him every day in every way. But the problem is, is we begin to, th- you know, people, when, when, uh, in early years here, a lot of people kind of complained and said things about us, you know, that we did this, we didn't do that, we did this, and they were, uh, he kind of, it was just religious. Because all we were trying to do is reach people for Jesus and accept people where they are. Jesus said, I didn't come to heal the whole, I came to touch the broken. And the problem with churches sometimes is we can become so whole or think we're so whole that we forget that there's broken people out there. Oh, and at our table. Because we do look good. You're probably wondering what all this junk on the table is. It was about a couple years ago I was golfing. And I started, I saw these little pieces laying around. I saw a bunch of broken tees, and I saw these beer caps and cigarette butts and golf balls that were broken and cut in half, and some of them were just hollowed out. And as I looked at them, I said, wow, someone's forgotten these. And then I would hit my ball over in the rough. I'd find another ball in the rough, and I'd find it, it looked like this, and it had something missing. And I'd go, aha, that was a ball that was lost. And it just got mowed over and cut up. And I started thinking, this is a great illustration of people. You ever feel mowed over? You kind of get lost and nobody finds you. Nobody knows where you are. Nobody sees you. And all of a sudden you get, you know, you just get cut up. You're standing straight up one day and the next thing you're broken because of something that happens, takes place in your life. And then you're just left there and you feel like, I'm just invisible. Nobody cares. Nobody knows. God probably doesn't even know. This isn't a talk about drinking and smoking. This is a talk about addiction, though, or this part is, is that, you know something? I found the the beer thing. I'm not, you know, beer, whatever you want to drink. But there's probably people in here where this could represent an addiction. And you're just left to rust, let go, bent up. Nobody takes care, nobody cares. And you think God doesn't see. See, what reminds me about all of this stuff that I picked up, it took me two years to get enough to do this. What it reminds me of is this is like humanity that is just left scattered all around. And that's why so many people struggle because there's a love deficit. They've been mowed over, they've been cut up, they've been broken down, they've been hurt. And they don't know 
if anybody loves them? And probably more importantly, does God even notice? Here's what you got to know. Nathaniel says, how did you know me? And I love this because he doesn't deny that he's honest and without deceit. He doesn't say, oh no, that's not me. He understands he's under a fig tree and he's probably tired of the temple and all of the religion. So he's out looking and waiting for God. That's kind of the idea of the text because Philip says, we found the one that we've been looking for. But here's the deal. He comes looking for them. They're in a desperate search for God, but God shows up. And he offers them a relationship. And Jesus does that for you today. Here's what I want. I want, I want Creekside, 444 Fig Tree Lane, to be that place, not a place of religion, not a place of hearing about God, but a place where people can come and sit. And like this tree, it becomes a tree of refuge, a fig tree of refuge where they can find God and they can experience God in all the reality of honesty, transparency, vulnerability, those who are broken, those who are messed up, that they can find this as a safe place for their journey. Not a religious place, but they can begin to understand and know the relationship and the love that God has for who he is and who they are. Come one, come all. And we make room for that. Notice Philip's response. He says, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Mary, and Joseph was from Nazareth. You know what he says? He's quoting, kind of quoting scriptural things there that he knows. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with the Bible. But here's the deal. He gives an academic approach. We found the one. This is what the Bible says. This is what the prophet said. What is Nathaniel's response? Jesus comes and he says, I saw you sitting in a, under a tree, a fig tree. And what does Nathaniel do? He goes, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Today, I wonder, it's so easy to get into the academic. It's so easy to get into the head knowledge. And there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the question. How will you respond? How do you respond to God today and his great love? Do you go, yeah, okay, yeah, I know. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. Yeah, I know about him. Or do you do like Nathaniel and you just throw yourself and say, God, you're the king. You're the king of Israel. And you know what? You're the king of my life. Jesus sees us. He sees you. He sees us all. Not some kind of voyeuristic, oh, I want to find out what you're doing bad. It's a, I see you. I want to be connected with you. I want to be connected to you. 
Because he says this, he says, I saw you, Nathaniel, when you were hiding out. You were not seen by anyone else. You were wondering and you're waiting. And guess what? I saw you. It gives me such hope for my future. Because I understand, I begin to see that I can look back and see where God saw me the whole time, even when I didn't see and know him. When I wasn't sure he was there, when as a fifth grader, my home was exploding for the second time, my dad was going through his second divorce. I had enough church because my grandparents took me. I heard about God. I knew something about God, even as a fifth grader. And I'm in this car, and my stepmother, who at the time I would say I hated because of the way she treated me, and she looks at me and she goes, I'm divorcing your dad. Who do you want to go with? Not you. (laughs) I didn't say that. I was too nice. And so I'm in this upheaval, this volatile situation. I'm thinking, God, where are you? Are you real? And then they divorce, and my dad and I, we start living on our own together. I'm in sixth grade through junior and high school. And during that time, there were seasons of such great loneliness. Oh, I had people around me. I had friends around me. But every one of them had a good family. I didn't. And I'm thinking, God, where are you? All I want is a good family. I want a mom, I want a dad. I want to come home, I want to have a meal. God, what? And then he remarries, and then I didn't like her, and she didn't like me, and we love each other now, but God, what? This isn't the family I wanted. Have you ever had those things? And then I get a little older, and I start having doubts. God, am I, am, am I smart enough to do what, what, I, what I want to do in life? Do I have the capacities? Do I have the, God, could you, would you just help me? And I never felt God. (laughs) And then I come to him when I was a senior in high school. I look back and you know what I see now? I see every time God was overseeing me. During those years when I was a little kid and my house was exploding, there was a gal named Fern Hughes who would tell me she was praying for me. There was a second grade Sunday school teacher, her name was Ardella Morris, who taught me to memorize God's word. She gave me my first Bible. I got into high school. There were three men that took me under their wings, so to speak. Told you about them before, Ron Snyder. Alvy Yates, Mike Nichols, and they loved me. They embraced me. They blew wind in me. They didn't preach at me. These guys, these people were Phillips to me, and I didn't even know it. But that's where God was. And you know what? He saw me. He saw me. When I look back, I know he was there. And you know what I know now? He's with me. And whether I ever see him or not, he sees me. It's the same for you. Jesus says, before Philip, Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. See, people come into your life, maybe people come into your life to bug you about Jesus. And you still feel like they're bugging you. Maybe they come to share about Jesus. Maybe somebody, somebody drug you to church here today. Here's the deal. 
They're only stepping in to the conversation that I believe God's probably already been having with you. And, and like me sitting on that second row, no, no, no. And they're just stepping in because they care. And they want to show you the love of God. But before they enter, Jesus, God has already been speaking to you. And here's what every one of us has to do, loved ones. We've got to make the decision. How will we respond when Jesus says, follow me? What are you going to do? No, no, no. Yes. I'm going to do it. I had the joy of having class 101 and 301 yesterday, and we always do things to get to know people. I always ask them, what, you know, what brought you to Creekside? And a few of the people, you know what they said? It was a process. They didn't just start coming, get right in. This is what they said. They said, people spoke to us. One person was in a, one, one couple was in a restaurant. We just sat down, we started talking to these people, and all of a sudden, Jesus becomes part of the conversation. And we're here. Another one says, you know what? That was a few years ago. Started doing meat back there. And then pretty soon, I began to kind of work my way in. It's kind of sad, isn't it? Nobody said anything about preaching. But that's another discussion we'll have later. You know why? Because that's how God works. It's one life at a time where you step in and you enter the conversation that God's already having. And I want to challenge you, loved ones. God loves you and he sees you. And when you begin to grasp that, it becomes so much easier to be able to be that for other people. And I don't know what you're going through today. But I'll bet there's people in this room, you feel invisible to the world and to God. I'm nothing more than a speck on this planet along with seven billion other people. And here's what I'm here to God sees you. Some of you feel like you're broken beyond compare. And I want to tell you today, God sees you. Some of us feel like there's just, we just, we don't have anything else left to, I want to tell you, God sees you. Some of us feel like we're so far gone in wrong stuff, addiction, or whatever it is. And I want to tell you, God sees you. Continue the conversation with him. Listen to him. See him in the people that he brings to you.